Are streaming services really a cable killer? All that and more on this Consumer Goods Edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. Sean O'Reilly here in Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Tuesday, May 10th, 2016, and joining me on air via Skype is the one and only Dan Klein. How are you, Dan? I'm good. Happy to be back. So uh, you're a New Englander, but you're in Florida? I, I, I am. I, uh, I'm very lucky to work for Fool or be a contractor for Fool, and that lets me be wherever I want. And honestly, who would want to be in 50-degree Connecticut when I can be in 85-degree West Palm Beach? Did you? Uh, are you on the beach? I'm not on the beach. I'm actually sitting in our condo, but uh, as soon as we're done, I'm heading to the beach. All right. Well, that's good. Um, did you hear about the, the record rainfall we're getting in D.C.? <laughs> it's like 13 straight days, and it's still going to be cloudy all week. I think it's fitting, given where politics is right now. It's symbolism, man, symbolism. Uh, the, the founding fathers are crying. Yeah, they're they're weeping. Um, so, first topic, we want to talk about um, if streaming live TV services like Dishes Sling and the PlayStation View, are they actually cable killers? Um, what What are your thoughts? Not yet. Not <laughs> you know, yet? The, the, this is one of those things where... Slings seem like a really good idea. You know, there's there's people cutting the cord. Maybe they still want some live programming. They'll pay twenty dollars. They'll get twenty channels with ESPN and TNT and some of the top ones, and it might work. But so far, the numbers are pretty dismal. I mean, Dish doesn't break them out, but the estimates are four hundred to six hundred thousand subscribers. That's 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 maybe, a whiff. Yeah, I mean, in a ninety-five million household world, that's not that big. And cord cutting itself hasn't been happening at the level everyone predicted. It actually, you know, leveled off last year. So we're in a situation where everyone thinks this is the next big thing, but absolutely nothing has proven that so far. What's um? I was actually surprised at how well, uh, or at least how attractive the offerings are for Sony's uh, PlayStation. It's a great product. The problem with it is, and, and I think it's a killer, is that in most markets, you don't get the broadcast networks. You know, part of that's a rights issue that might eventually be solved. So you've got this product that you've got to figure out how to stream on your TV or through your PlayStation. You know, easy for young people, but not so easy for you know the, the 40 and 50-year-olds who might spend the money. And then once you do it, you still need some other solution to watch ABC or CBS or you know whatever whatever it is you happen to watch locally. So it makes it a niche product. The same was true in the early days of satellite. Got it. So uh, I know I'm I'm reasonably sure that most of our listeners are uh, at the very least familiar with Hulu. Um, where do they fit into all this? Because they're it was weird because it seems like all the owners don't have an incentive to make it too good. They they don't. So Hulu has announced it's going to get into the, the streaming skinny bundle game. The company hasn't really said what that means, but two of its partners, Disney and Fox, are on board. So that makes it an interesting prospect because Disney has a lot of top cable channels. Both, both companies own networks. But Comcast, the other partner, has basically stayed in the sidelines and said, mm, we're not sure we want to cannibalize our business with this. So and it's Eventually, so funny that all of them own it too. It's just <laughs> Can you imagine those meetings? Like 
it's you know it's it's basically a bunch of enemies getting in a room and trying to get along well not only that but they're like debating on how to take advantage of america's desire to stream things and not kill their their bread and butter networks i mean it's it, this it's a fascinating case study they're they're in a tough position you know you, you have to embrace the future but you also don't want to hasten it. You know, you're making a lot of money in traditional cable, and you only lost, as an industry, less than 400,000 subscribers last year. And the fourth quarter had growth, and the, f- the first quarter has actually had a little bit of growth. So why would you make it that good? But you don't want Dish to steal it all, so it, it becomes very complicated. So talk to me about... Um pricing because as we've seen with Netflix people are more than happy to fork over 10 bucks a month if the value's there and uh, I'm pretty sure Hulu costs I mean eight nine ten dollars um they haven't announced pricing for their streaming bundle though correct yeah they they haven't and basically uh sling is twenty dollars for the base package which is roughly 20 channels and Sony is about forty dollars for 55 60 channels and Sony's sort of a true cable alternative for people who would just rather stream. It's a little cheaper, but it's not dramatically cheaper. And honestly, you might make up the difference in what you're saving by having to pay more for, for broadband, losing the bundling discounts. Hulu will probably come in somewhere in the middle. And the reality is, I don't think anyone's figured out the model yet. You know, Dish had this idea that millennials wouldn't want broadcast networks, but they'd want, you know, Comedy Central and Adult Swim and things like that. And it just haven't hasn't proven to be true. If maybe, you know, a true a la carte service would work where people could just handpick a couple of channels to go along with Netflix and Amazon Hulu. Prime, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I ha- I have all of them. So, so, you know, it, uh, you know I, I I'm overpaying for cable and for streaming services, but until it's seamless, where you only have to go to one service for everything and you can really get what you want, I think this stays an, a niche offering. Yeah, I'm just I'm very curious, and the reason I sneezed Amazon Prime there was because um, they're trying to do something like that because you can get, for example, Stars through Amazon Prime and you pay Amazon the ten dollars and they send most of it over to Stars. Um, and this does the same thing with Sling. Yeah, so I don't know. It's uh, but. You still can't get, you know, I've written all these articles on how to get around having cable, and it involves having an HDMI antenna, subscriptions to three different services. You know, it, it just doesn't work. If you have Netflix but want a lot of network shows, you need Hulu, and you have to switch interfaces to do that. And it just becomes, you know, we're used to flipping a channel, you know, flipping the remote control, and everything is there, and neither one of these products delivers that. So everybody's expecting cable to die or something they just don't know how or when um what's an investor to do i don't expect cable to die i i I think we're probably moving into a world where cable digitally streams and maybe the the lucrative set-top box revenue will ultimately go away but i still think because you're tied to broadband that comcast and the other big cable companies are going to find a way to tie in their television so they're going to lose revenue on the television side we're going to see some of the little channels go away we're going to see you know definite change in that space but i haven't seen a disruptor where just cuz i have netflix you know once you have kids in a, in a full family in a house where even the millennials aren't going to say boy i really need 50 channels because my wife watches this and my kids watch all the 
the Disney channels and my teenager watches all the MTV channels. I, I think it, cable isn't the record business. I think it's going to evolve into something that makes sense. And, you know, it's just kind of investors strap your boots on for a while. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. Um, in fact, I said as much, particularly your point about how they'll just charge us more for Internet. Um, I wrote an article uh, on April 23rd. It got published on Fool.com, and I just wrote, Why Rumors of Cable's Death Are Greatly Exaggerated. And um, yeah. you know, bottom line, I mean, if you look at the prices for just internet packages from these guys, and it's just going to get worse when we need more and more bandwidth. And there's potential disruptors to it. You know, if, if Google figures out how to put a blimp in the sky that brings, you know, the entire Internet drones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if, you know, if something really changes, then, then maybe. But the reality is a lot of the cable companies are also the people that own the content. So, you know, Comcast is going to find a way to deliver its channels. And that might mean partnerships, but it's also going to mean, you know, slowly being at least at pace with the curve in terms of skinny bundles and a la carte services. And, you know, there's going to be shakeup, but there's not going to be disaster. Awesome. So uh, I, if it's okay with you, we'll pivot over from uh, streaming services and making money off of the quote-unquote death of cable uh, over to uh, donuts. Um, <laughs> JB, J, go ahead. I'm keeping the coffee industry alive, you know, yes, pretty much you on my own. So. You, you New Englanders and your Dunkin' Donuts. Um, JAB Holdings, um, which uh, just closed deal to buy Keurig Green Mountain, uh, is buying Krispy Kreme. Um, I, I, I'm not surprised because I know their evil scheme, but what do you think? It, it's an interesting strategy. I mean, basically, you've got on the retail front, two major players. You've got Starbucks and, and Dunkin' Donuts, one with something like 22,000 stores, the other with 11 to 13. I forget the exact number. And at least in terms of being a retail competitor, what JAB Holdings is doing is they're buying every single coffee chain that's available. They bought Pete's, they bought uh, Intelligista, they're, they're, they've picked up all sorts of little local chains. And now with Krispy Kreme, they have a, a brand that's of they also own the parent company of Einstein Brothers Bagels. So you can start to see a strategy emerge where, you know, maybe Pete's would be an upscale product in a Krispy Kreme. Maybe Krispy Kreme will become the coffee brand at, at Einstein, but it's still just a collecting asset strategy that hasn't really congealed. Yeah, I um it, they clearly want this just portfolio of coffee and donut chains, um, it actually makes me wonder how long until they buy the local mom-and-pop coffee shop here in Alexandria. Um, they're a private company. Correct me if I'm wrong. They're based in Europe, right? I think it's they, like they, a family. They are based in, yeah. in Europe. And, you know, I mean, they even own one of the leading makers of Nespresso Pods, which is the dominant uh, single-serve brand in Europe. So oh boy. they're all over the map in terms of what they own. And I really do think so far that it is an acquisition strategy, and then eventually they'll figure out how to put it all together. Because most of these brands they're buying, Kerrigan and Krispy Kreme specifically, are still being run as independent companies by their, their old management. So they aren't even you know, buying things and consolidating them. And, you know, they've, they've turned some caribou coffees into pizza, as you mentioned to me earlier, but they haven't made any wholesale changes so far. So you're, so are you speculating when you say that the goal is to create synergy? Cause they clearly haven't done that just yet. They, they, they haven't done it. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. It seems very odd. If you own Kerrig, obviously, it keeps the money more in the family when you make a deal with Krispy Kreme for K-Cups, which is actually the coffee I had this morning. But 
that's nice you know that's a, that's efficiency. If they don't start sort of pushing the brands on each other, then they're just giving up an opportunity, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So, um, bottom line for Starbucks shareholders and uh, Dunkin' shareholders, uh, should we be nervous at all? I don't think so. I mean, with Starbucks, there's some exposure in the in the fact that they have a K cup partnership, but because of the the rights issues, where really any company can make K cups, and we've all seen it's pretty easy. Yeah, to get around character. You can make your own. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So you know, for for Starbucks, I'd be scratching my head a little bit. Like they they do appear to be putting a competitor together and maybe in the, the supermarket end of the business, Starbucks and Dunkin' should worry about this company that now has sort of all this combined clout. But it doesn't seem like a competitor, you know, for the for the go out to a cafe market and Kerrig was already dominant in the home market. Got it. Okay. Well, Dan, thanks for joining me on air, and thank you especially for your thoughts. Uh, enjoy the beach. Get some rays. <laughs> thanks for having me. You bet. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Once again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people in this program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Dan Klein, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening and Fool on.